All right, go ahead in three, two, one. You are looking live. Uh, we are here in Newport, Rhode Island for American Conference Media Days. It is a uh, been a gorgeous day. It's been a lovely weekend. Um, we saw student athletes. We saw coaches. We saw cliches. We saw lots of fun, uh, good times. I am here with Richard Johnson from SB Nation. The what is your title, Richard? Uh, let's uh, let's go college football writer. Um, yeah, let's do that. College football writer. And if you're listening to this podcast, uh, you probably saw Richard's piece. Um, from the college football playoff this year on Tampa and how Tampa is like improving as a city and all of those wonderful things. Um, it was a really good piece and uh, wonderful things. And we are also here with Haley Auten, the voice of the American Conference in hey. some ways, at least in the sidelines and things. Um, Haley has been anchoring all of this coverage this week live. How's the experience been? It's been awesome. It's the first time we've ever hosted live shows from Newport for the conference, so it's been really neat. We experimented last night uh, with an hour live show at the Clambake, and then we went live for about five hours today from the main ballroom, so we had a lot of good conversations, and you have everyone in one place, so you got to take advantage of it. Uh, 12 teams. You talked to 12 different coaches and how many different student-athletes today. Um, what's your vibe about how this league feels going forward into 2017. I mean, everybody's, I know, all excited and bright and sunshiny, but it seems like there's a little more cohesion here this year than there was last year, for sure. Well, I think it's really exciting because I think this year it looks a lot different, um, not in a bad way, though. So when you look at both divisions, um, you know, you have the East Division who could be really talented, but there's a lot of new faces in the East Division in terms of coaching, and then obviously they're led by USF, who was picked overwhelmingly to win it all today. But I think what's really interesting about the conference this year is the West. And I think, you know, about one through five, I mean, people had, you know, all, Memphis all the way down to SMU in all over the place in their votes for this media poll. And I just think that there are going to be some really tough stretches. And it would be, I would be amazed if anyone out of the West Division makes it through this season without, you know, stumbling along the way at some point, because there's a lot of talent in that group. The only consistent thing from the West in the media poll was that literally out of 30 voters, I was one of the voters, um, but of all 30, all 30 picked Tulane to finish last in the West. <laughs> it was but the you know only what? consistency. <laughs> I like Tulane and I like Willie Fritz because, you know, Willie Fritz, you know, it may take him a little bit of time, right. but uh, I'm not going to bet against him because no. he certainly has turned around every program that he's ever worked with. And we already saw the improvements, I think, from them last year in year one. Uh, they played a lot of games really, really close, and their four wins, it could have been more. Absolutely. Now, they played a, a bunch of games within a touchdown last year, and it's just so tough because they, they definitely, you know, if they were in the East, I think they don't maybe not finish in the bottom of the pole for sure. It's just there is a there's sort of a very top-heavy East, and then the West is just way more balanced from top to bottom. Um, so Power Six really seems to be the theme of this. We've got pins. We've got golf balls. We've got backdrops. We've got... Uh, the special pin that your boss, Mr. Oresco, is wearing around here, which is like not just the, the little Power Six pin that all of us got. He got like the big one. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and Vern Lundquist got a Power Six helmet signed by a whole bunch of things, um, by a whole bunch of the coaches and everything like that. And by the way, Uncle Vern was just killing it today. Yeah, I um, I sat with Vern for probably 15, 20 minutes. Um, and and you'll also be able to read that story on SBNation.com. <laughs> Look at that plug. That's how we get the job done. Good job. Um, but yeah, I was able to sit with Vern for a little bit and kind of pick his brain and kind of talk about like what he's been up to, um, why he's here. Uh, he's kind of been on like the speaking circuit. He told me this off season. Um, he did a uh, he did like a cruise, an Alaskan cruise, 
with 500 Big Ten like fans and donors and boosters and stuff like that. What? Um, and he's also he's boys with Oresco. Is yeah. essentially why he's like here. Um, he's been boys with Oresco, etc., for years. Um, and so he's able to come here, help Mike out, MC this event. And it was a lot of fun. Um, and so yeah, Vern is uh, Vern's looking good. He's doing good. He's gonna have back surgery in a few weeks. Um, and he's, he said he's got six months of recovery ahead. But after that, he will be back in the tower at 16 for the Masters. He made it apparent um, that he is going to make it back for Augusta. Not sure about the NCAA tournament, but will definitely be back for Augusta. So he um, got up there today and wasn't afraid to really cut loose in front of the coaches. Um, one of the things that really impressed me, he's like, look, when I worked for CBS and I saw teams getting a six-day win, you know, those six-day schedule window holds where you don't know who you're, oh, what time goodness. you're going to play. And he got up there and just said, look, I hated it when I was at CBS because I thought it was really unfair to fans. And the fact that he's even, like, considering that in this modern college media environment, we all just sort of accept, like, oh, well, we don't know what time the game is, and okay, we'll figure it out. You know, I'm trying to make schedule plans already for our earliest games of the year, and, like, I don't even know when we're going to be playing yet. You know what I mean? So those kind of things like he he cut loose he cut loose on social media he cut loose on all sorts of things the recruiting process and uh, he was like a great host and he was good at drawing the coaches out as well coach strong told him that facebook's on the out oh that's so true he and had no he idea heartbroken <laughs> but I, I beg to differ we had colin we had over fifty thousand viewers stay on our live show on wow. facebook so wow. there's i told him at the end i'm like there's somebody still on facebook so it's acceptable to do that still go on there well yeah but it's it's the parents now like That's your parents yeah. your mom's on facebook with like 16 and 17 year old kids like the move is even more so than twitter the move is instagram they yeah. love Instagram. They love, you know, they love the, the and Snapchat, of course. I was gonna say your um, bay's on Snapchat. Yeah, yeah that's where your bay is. But the kids, uh, you know, the youngsters these days are going away from Facebook because of what Facebook happens. Like you just said, like Facebook is more about parents now, and so Facebook's not cool anymore. Um, One Facebook's of a, ten years old. Like, you, you know, Bud Elliott. Yeah. Bud's got this great quote: "Facebook for show, but Facebook for dough, Twitter for show." Of course. You know what I mean? And it's like that. You know, we all we're probably all on Twitter way more than we should be. And we're all like refreshing and checking. Oh, we're and on everything. Twitter at all, which is means we're on Twitter way more than we should. Twitter's right. trash. Twitter, it's it's horrible, wonderful place all at the same time. Um, but that's you know, and that's where everything seems to be going. But for our, our older generation, like we put, fa- you know, we can put things out on on Twitter, and the links go through, and we get some click through. But Facebook's still where it's at. But for these student athletes and where they're going, they're all out there and they're doing social, and and that's really sort of changed even in the last three to four years. Um, you know, recruits now can be retweeted by coaches that are recruiting. Yeah. That's, you know, really changed the dynamic so much. So. so something that I really like and a little plug here for the conference, but um, the conference did it for the first time back at Basketball Media Day in Philadelphia this year, and it got, um, you know, I think some really good feedback, but they did it for the football players um, last night here in Newport as well. They, they bring in uh, Sue Castorino from the Speaking Specialist. They do a one-hour social media session. And she basically, she makes it very interactive and fun. She'll pull up, you know, some of the student athletes' accounts, but it's like, this is what you do, this is what you don't do um, on social media. So, I mean, all the coaches talked about it today. It's not about, you know, keeping players off of it. It's about teaching them how to use it the right way um, so that, you know, they don't run into any trouble with it down the line. Exactly. Like, you're going to have bumps in the road with 19 to 20-year-olds. Like, like, (laughs) look, one of these days... They're going to find my tweets from high school and they're going to get me up out of here. So, like, you're going to have, you're going to have problems, you're going to have issues, like, you're going to have slip-ups. The kids, 
their kids. I'm 24. Like, whatever. These um, kids today. <laughs> those darn young whippersnappers. <laughs> but no, exactly. Just like you said, like, you teach them how to use it the right way. You teach them how to be on it. Um, it is it is a new, it's a new paradigm where these guys are able to take agency over their own message on social media. And that's the brilliance and the beauty of the medium. But it's a double-edged sword because they have control over the own message. Um, and I think as you've, the American Conference Media Days and what this event is, is just so markedly different from SEC, ACC. I am, uh, you know, I'm from SEC country, like, I, not the website, the region of the country. <laughs> um, I, um, I, you know, I've been to three SEC Media Days uh, before. Like, this event is just so different in how open uh, things are with being able to speak to the different athletes and just pull a coach aside or, or pull Mike Oresco aside for 15 minutes. Like, that does not happen in the SEC with Greg Senke and Nick Saban. Like, that's not the way it works. Wait, you, you can't just, like, split a lobster with Nick Saban when yeah, you roll up in it? Exactly. <laughs> Mike Oresco will be the first to tell you that he knows that this league has to do it differently than yeah. everybody else. You know, um, he loves comparing this conference to Southwest and, and JetBlue uh-huh. because – you know what, you can be equally as successful, but you're going to have a completely different strategy doing it. And there's some really good incentive to coming up here and covering this media day. It's it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's a great experience, and you got really great access to about anybody you want. Look at you. That's a good company woman right God, there. There it is. Yes. The talking <laughs> yes. points are there. Look at that. Bang that curveball out of the park. Um, he actually, one of the things that I really found interesting, and I had heard this already from um, through Mark Harlan, who's the chair of the ADs, but he had said that... Um, that Mike had already gone to the West Coast and talked to Facebook and Twitter and Google about streaming rights and you know maybe even if it, it might be first tier but it might be second tier and third tier rights as well and how that's just going to change the dynamic for the conference because you know we are all you know P6 it's on our credentials it's on our golf balls it's on everything here but I think the thing that keeps separated is there's two main issues and that's one there's no direct bowl access for the champion right now and hopefully when the next bowl contract comes up and that's going to be nine nine seasons from now but they'll start negotiating that probably in about six or seven years that maybe you could see some direct access for this league and i think it's probably going to have earned it at this point because it is a much more competitive league and has separated itself from the rest but here's the thing about that like Hmm. i think so oresco was talking about how essentially he's forcing not forcing but at least pushing teams to schedule two uh, yes. Power five teams. Right. You know, quality power five teams. Power six teams. Excuse me. Yes, power six <laughs> That's teams. That's what I'm here for, guys. Of course. Um, two power six teams. And so it, it becomes a thing of those become your quote unquote bowl games, or at least your marquee games on the schedule. Um, so that when, especially out recruiting, um, you know, I come to sit in, in mom's living room of the 17 year old that I'm going to look at, and they say, you know, if they're very forward thinking, they're going to say, you know what? What audiences are you going to get my son in front of? You mm-hmm. know, what, and I think when you're able to say, "Hey, like we can we can get him," let's just say Tennessee, for instance, or Oklahoma. Houston just played Oklahoma. We can get you a big non-conference showdown with Oklahoma in our backyard in an NFL stadium. Da 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 da. And so that push is big for the conference and its kind of you know place in the college football universe. Um, but they are benefiting from. Um, or I should say, we'll see if they'll benefit from the push from the other Power Six school or other Power Six leagues um, t- that are saying, "Hey, you know, you need to schedule tougher stuff like that." And I think the other Power Six leagues know that, especially at the top level, when it comes down to playoff debates and, and at that elite level, you've got to have at least one or two marquee out of conference opponents. And I think the American will benefit from that as well uh, on the back end of kind of that from 
that perspective. So for USF uh, next season, to that to that end, scheduling Georgia Tech at Illinois, 2019 Wisconsin Georgia Tech, 2020 they start a series with Texas. That's going to be a two for one, and and Oresco talked about how they're trying to shy away from two for ones unless it's a really primo opponent. But obviously, if you get Texas, you take that deal. Um, and in the future, and, and that's sort of been the model. Um, what's going to hurt is, is, quite frankly, the Pac-12 playing nine conference games. It just hurts. It limits the availability. It limits well, the SEC's never inventory. playing nine conference games. Heck, so. That's never going to happen. Um, but, you know, your Florida Gators, Richard is a graduate of Gainesville's finest and a resident of Gainesville for most of his life. Absolutely. Um, they, uh, you know, the, the Florida scheduling. USF had a, a game scheduled with Florida forever. It was supposed to be a two-game two series. That game got pushed back three different times. It finally got played, and the second game got canceled. You know, and, and I can't really blame the Gators for doing that because their scheduling model clearly works. But that just shows one issue that this league is going to continue to have. They want to schedule up. They want to play those games, but it's going to be difficult. Um, we'll see. We'll see yeah. how it goes. You're going to get bumped, and you're going to want teams that aren't necessarily going to want to put themselves in a in what could be seen as a disadvantage disadvantageous situation um, of playing a good quality opponent but you know you've got to the Americans got to continue to prove themselves on the field because in the boardroom necessarily you run up against the um, the money issue it's it's a big it's a big deal I mean 30 million bucks a school is a lot of money exactly and so when you've got you know the big 12 even the big 12 with um, obviously they've only got 10 teams so there's less uh, there's less hands in the pot um but the money that those rights deals generate is just—it just dwarfs. Yeah. It just dwarfs America, and, and that's how it is. But it's gonna. But and and as Oresco said today, you know, they, they just got to get closer. They don't need to get all the way there, but they just need to get closer, and they will. Um, so, Haley, you've been. This is your third or fourth of these. Heading into my fourth year. Heading into your it's fourth. The third football media day. Third football. Um, how has this event grown and changed since you've been here? A whole lot. So. Like my first year, we were just trying to shoot a couple of on-demand interviews with student athletes to use for the duration of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the year after, kind of grew a little bit after that. We talked to every head coach and almost every player. And now we're trying to bring this live component because, you know, you kind of alluded to it, but the commissioner, you know, kind of looking ahead to the future and, you know, making those trips out west to, to Snapchat and Facebook and Twitter. So, you know, we're trying to get our branding and our messaging out there on our social media platforms where fans of our schools across the conference are at. So I think our big initiative this whole year, and you've seen it at our previous events, has been getting these live shows and continuing to improve them and grow. We started at football or at basketball media days rather this past year. We had a football championship game show. Um, and then carried that into the basketball championships as well. And I think um, it's a nice addition because, you know, even when these games um, for the championships, for instance, are televised, you know, we're going on air a couple minutes before kick and it's off pretty quickly after that. So we're, you know, kind of just hoping to be a great addition um, to the other coverage that is going on out there. So it's been fun. I mean, they definitely are bought into technology and, and growing um, as a conference in that regard and reaching people where they're at. 50,000 people on a live stream yeah, you know, for a media day. That's pretty fantastic. I mean, yeah. like, you know, and, and that shows that there is a market for this. You know what I mean? The, the rights to this league are going to become more and more valuable because the schools are growing. They're in the right markets. They have the right, what is it, 4.7 million, two, two or 4.7 million alumni, something like that, amongst the 12 schools that are in the, or 13 schools that are in the league now. There is a following uh, out there. I mean, it's, it's tough. I mean, from the conference perspective, you know, you 
you guys, you know, you reach out to, you know, the USF fan base and stuff, but from a much broader perspective, you're trying to cover 12 schools, you're trying to do it equally, and, and you're trying to, to get to everybody. So it's a, it's a tough task to do it, and we're trying to learn how to get better at it every year. Um, so I, I was excited. This was my first time here. Um, yours too. Mm-hmm. And we were... Yeah, you got your pre-media day pedicure. I did. I got, <laughs> I you, did, did. you didn't think I was going to get through without bringing that up. Right? I, it's you, like my highlight of this month. <laughs> This is me getting a patty. Yeah. Look good, feel good, feel good, play good. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, we played great today. You know, <laughs> we were we were on our A game today. We got some good stuff in. We'll have some great stuff in the blog this week. Um, so I I could not be more impressed with how this event is handled, how it's run. Um, we had some Wi-Fi problems today, but, like, that's infrastructure is something that I don't think the conference could really control that's sort of on the hotel. Um, but otherwise, like the amount of access and the amount of openness and you can just see it in the way that the commissioner talks like there this place is an open book it's not like there's you know we see the power six but it's not spin it's like we know where we are we know what we're doing you know we that southwest and jet analogy i think is fantastic and wonderful for where this league is and so yeah because it's not it, it's not a and that's that's going to get kind of lost in the sauce in kind of how the conference is branded and I think seen on the outside that it's not the Americans saying we are a power five instead of the ACC or right. instead of the big 12 or it's it's, it's a power six mm-hmm. meaning the other five and us right I think that's a part of the branding that they are going to have to that's a part of the message I should say that they're going to have to control and they're going to have to get out there as much as they can um, because when you start when you start kind of run with the big dogs in that way um, and you're going to say you're going to unseat a conference here and there or whatever like, you're going to run into some problems Absolutely. there um, because I think and, and Oresco pointed this out to, to us uh, Colin when he said like the Americans in these really great markets they're in Houston they're in Florida they're, you know, they're in North Carolina and that kind of stuff but they're not the flagship universities in any state Correct. And so, you know, with that, there's there's a lot, there's less, I should say, um, funding. There's less prestige. There's less alumni base. There's donors. There's the all uh, da, 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 da. down the line, all the the issues and the roadblocks that teams in this conference run into. Um, and so the it's it's the finding a niche. It's kind of settling into that niche and yeah. kind of exploiting it to your benefit. That is the message of the Power Six and is kind of the move for the conference. That I think is just an interesting way to go about. Um, the issue because they're they're not group of five they're not power five if anything they're kind of college football's middle class so to speak yeah um and so because of that brand that middle class and control the message and that's that's what it is the proletariat exactly rising up (laughs) rising above and they were and they're big about not i guess when he was talking about kind of not putting any other conference down i think and and i'm not i'm not trying to put words in his mouth but i think that there's going to be an implied like an implied we're better than you Sunbelt Conference Mac. USA Mac um, and it'll be interesting how those other leagues adjust and adapt and even maybe respond to that message and that who's that the first one going with the power seven hash <laughs> I, I mean it's, it, look if there's anybody that I think goes after them first it's probably the Mac yeah. I think my money's probably on the Mac. If if there's any conference that kind of responds or tries to do their own Power Seven, what we'll have a Power Ten, you know, by the end of it. Yeah. But, but I, I talked to Bill Hancock, who is the executive director of the College Football Playoff, um, and he was telling me today he doesn't see college football um, as Power Five or Group of Five. Uh, every league, as far as they're concerned, 
has a seat at the table um, as far as being on the playoffs board, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, whether the proof is in the pudding on the other end of that is to be seen because, of course, um, you know, there's only one group of five spot in the playoff. Right. So they may have an equal, uh, an equal seat at that table, but they don't have an equal entry into the playoff. And that is going to be tough as the, um, as the American tries to up themselves, get to Premier Bowls, and try and maybe crash um, the playoff party. Speaking of parties crashed... Well, look who shows. Hey, up. friends! <laughs> Josh Appel joins us live from his. Um, what would you call that? You just did with Fern Lundquist. A summit. Our our ninety Meeting second powwow that we just had after he got off the radio. He's been a busy man today. He has, and we were just discussing the fabulousness that is Uncle Vern. Um, the nicest person. The nicest guy. Like, the nicest person. Yeah, fantastic. We were we loved him. Um, so. You got to interview a bunch of student athletes today, buddy. I did. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. I talked to a lot of different people. I, I, and it's interesting, too, because, of course, you know that I'm a USF guy. And Quentin and Augie both somehow missed my booth, unfortunately. But I got to see Augie for a second. Well, that was because the players, USF's players, got in very late last night. Their chartered plane had a little electrical problem, and they were literally flying out of here. Like, I had my two-minute interview with Quentin Flowers got literally cut down to about a minute 15 because they were he had to stuff his face and then run to the Providence Airport so they could get home. Um, feel bad Love, for those guys. Yeah, that's a, that's a heck a of a... test of adversity leading <laughs> into the season. It's a heck of a two days of travel, too. Those poor guys, man. They, the USF guys really suffered. But um, what was the best story you heard today from a student-athlete? Oh, I think you already told me. Yeah, far and away Jalen Miner uh, from Cincinnati. <laughs> the uh, linebacker for Cincinnati. He uh, does rodeo. He, uh, I think he, something with calves. I can't remember exactly calf what roping? it is. Calf roping? It's yes. exactly what it is. He does something else. But I asked him, I said, so, like, uh, one of the questions I asked was, you know, which favorite NFL team, which favorite NFL player? He's like, well, I don't really watch football. I do rodeo. And I was so caught <laughs> off guard by that. As, As one, one does. does. Yeah, and it sure. was really impressive. And, you know, you think about all the different things that you could take from doing rodeo and apply that to football, and it's like, guy's got to go and rope calves, wow. and now he just has to go tackle a running back. It's like... Translates. I'm sure. I wonder which one's harder for him. Probably the, probably the football deal. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Well, maybe not. Um, he says he wants to do that still, and really? he still does. He doesn't do it during the season, obviously. Or when he goes home, he's still around it. His entire family does it. It was really cool. That's cool. really cool to hear. Um, who else did you get to talk to today? Who's uh, interesting. Cortland Sutton was my other favorite uh, interview today. He can talk forever, and really? he's he's a really good personality. And uh, it was really cool to get get to talk to him, um, and and really all the SMU guys because those, especially the upperclassmen, obviously if they're here, they're upperclassmen. But they've been through a lot when since they've been there, and you can tell even just last year, uh, even though probably not where they wanted to end up, you could tell that's just such a different program than it was a few years ago when they won one game. Yeah. So it, it's cool to see that, and it's cool to you know come back here after last year and see some of the guys and see some of these coaches and how just different things can change from one year to the next. Yeah, we were talking about we were discussing that earlier. Um, you are doing a college football radio schedule this year mm -hmm. for Sports USA. Uh, you are also doing NFL games, but wait, uh, do you got any American games coming up? I don't have any American games coming up, unfortunately. Really? I wish we did. Yeah, it's my wheelhouse. I was gonna say you're ready to go for this. Um, all right, what else we got? Um, last, last thing. Um, for what at this out? For um, where we are and what we do, um, what did you learn this weekend that you do not already know about this conference, where you think it's heading, what's going to be great? 
the future. What are you doing? I love the enthusiasm that Mike Oresco has for promoting this too. conference and the honesty yeah. and just the straightforward attitude that he has about everything. Um, I think that's really important when you're in a position that this conference is in, trying to elevate themselves. You have to have somebody at the top who is is the, conducts himself and speaks about the conference the way he does. I think that's hugely important. Um, obviously, you know, it's the Power Five, but Power Six. Um, but you need that attitude. You need to have somebody at the top who like I said, conducts himself that way if you ever want to be considered in that realm as well. And I think when you when you hear some of the arguments that, not arguments, but some of the points he was making in, in his address today when, when the morning first got started, I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty inarguable that this conference is just as competitive with all the other Power Five, you know, sure. schools and whatnot. I was talking to you yeah. when we first saw the poll. I'm like, you know, you're doing something pretty well if, you know, SMU is your fifth-place team or fourth-place team or whatever picked in the West. That's a deep division. Yeah. There's some really good football teams in this conference, and unfortunately not all of them are make to the postseason because one of them is going to beat up on the other, but there's going to be a lot of really good games, uh, really fun games, and uh, I'm excited for it. It's a good I'm conference. Kind of like piggybacking off of that, I think the, the neatest thing that, you know, kind of realizing it here for the – not for the first time, but it's starting to feel a little bit more real as college football season gets closer, but the biggest change since – I started here um, a few years ago. I think when I first got here, there was a really big difference between the top half of the league and the bottom half of the league. And you kind of talked about how important it was going to be to bridge that gap. And I think we're finally starting to see that gap um, become a lot smaller. You know, you see, like, first when I, when the first, you know, we went to the division format, the East was like the powerhouse. And now, you know, people are really focused on the West this year. But, you know, when you look at the East, you got to think that Randy Edsel is going to, get this UConn program back up and running in East Carolina. This was a team that was in the top 25 a couple years ago in their fifth. So those programs will get back um, doing some good things. But I just think that the whole, the overall level of all 12 teams in the conference, it's not just focused on one or two teams anymore. There's a lot more players in the game. And I think that's kind of where my takeaway is heading into this season. And, and you look at two, sorry to interrupt, but like some of these coaches, I mean, these, this has literally been the, the breeding ground for guys to get power five jobs. Right. Bye, Haley. Bye. See you guys. <laughs> um, Haley, how many? Oh, how many lobsters did you eat? Oh gosh, everyone's gonna hate me. I ate zero. No. I ate zero. no. She lives. What? what? She, she lives in Rhode Island, so it's not a novelty. So okay. let's. Let's do this. I don't like seafood. Oh. So, but I had I had two pieces of cornbread and dessert. Oh. <laughs> so it was a very unbalanced meal. But you know what? <laughs> hey, but uh, Bill Hancock, he came for the dessert table because he's allergic to shellfish, I found oh, out wow. last night. So he was like, yeah, but, you know, ice cream. He's like, I'm happy too. So we all find stuff we're happy with here. But, yeah, I'm pretty disowned here in New England. I like, mean, how's, I'm not a big shellfish guy I was really happy either, that Andy Katz got the lobster segment last night. I'm not going to Now that you guys are completely disappointed in me. Um, right. Thanks for coming. Adios. Thanks for coming. Have fun. Um, I was going to say, I, I learned that um, this conference is very much more self-aware than I thought it might have been from the promotion of the, the material that I saw. And self-awareness, I think, is a good thing. Um, you know, I had two lobsters last night. Um, I thought it was, like, a, just a really fantastic job um, from, from pillar to post. They're doing it the right way. It's just a really tough hand that they've been dealt. And that's the hard part. It's just such a tough stack to be. You're $30 million short from the jump from everyone that's ahead of you. You know, and, and that's just a gap that is almost untenable. You know, and, and, this, and the money that they do have, 
so much of it is subsidized by students right now. You know, USF's budget is is 30% just directly coming from students. Um, that's going to be a real difficult challenge for them to, to to bridge in the future. But they know where they are, and that's about. I, I think that's the best they can ask for at this point. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we will, uh, we'll see how things go. I think the big thing was you didn't lose anybody to the Big 12. Um, you, know, you didn't lose anybody to the Big 12 during expansion. Um, and that, I think, is, has set this conference up, I think, long-term or however long-term before the next um, batch of realignment for success. But the question remains to be seen. The next round of realignment we have whenever we have it, and by God, we will have it, um, <laughs> what, like, what happens who, you know, will the American, what can the American do to set themselves up to be a destination in a sense of uh, something that you don't want to leave? Will it, you know, do they need to have, do they need to put a grant of rights in? Um, there, you know, do I, they... I asked Rusko about a grant of rights a couple of years ago. And he said that's just not realistic for us. Well, yeah, but I mean, the grant of rights, the, the grant of rights has to be something that the, the rights in the grant of rights have to be something where you can't leave or you don't yes. want to leave right. um, because you don't want to forfeit that. But, you know, if, if Houston comes calling, w- w- this is hypothetical, Houston comes calling for uh, the American next season, let's say they, a magical grant of rights appears in December and Houston and the Big 12 comes calling again for Houston. They probably won't. It's hypothetical. Um, the American doesn't have... The, the, the Houston's going to scoff at that because Houston's $30 million cut from the Big 12 in this hypothetical world um, is fine for a grant of rights. It's fine to right. give up. And so you've got that struggle to worry about. Um, so the, the American, the next the next decade, I think, of this league with bowl tie-ins that are going to come due, with a new TV rights agreement that are going to come due, with an interesting push into... Um, you know, into the playoff and, and looking for new bowl tie-ins. I think that when the playoff comes up in eight years, um, when those negotiations start coming, what is the American going to do to put themselves in a better, more advantageous position to perhaps get a guaranteed spot if this playoff expands? Um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of shifting sands, a lot of shifting, uh, shifting foundations of college football, and the American is in an interesting place because I think they are as a league probably nimble and inventive enough to pivot to different you know places and, and try different things um what they do what they try obviously remains to be seen so so far they've kept up with all the autonomy um you know full, full cost of attendance uh full food all of the other things that you know but but they're not at that legislative table they're not. when it comes to voting correct they're, so they don't get they don't get a voice in those things but once they are passed they have been able to keep up exactly and but budget-wise, that's going to start to become a strain on this league as well um, because more and more things are going to get passed through autonomy. The budgets are going to continue to grow at the top level, and it's just how long can they hang on um, before without that $30 million kick that everybody else has that, that is using for autonomy money. But it is what it is, and um, there is some there's some real talent in this league. Look, USF's probably going to run away with it. They are the overwhelming choice to win this league. They're the un, 30 out of 30 choice to win the East. Um, I would I would be surprised if USF went if they went seven and one or below seven and one I would be stunned. You know, it's college football. You're gonna lose a game. You know, these things happen. Weird stuff can happen. You just gotta lose the right game. You gotta lose the right because they lost the wrong right. game last but year. But can USF afford to lose? To I'm not talking about right game, wrong game. I'm talking about can they afford to lose? As far as making a New Year's Six, 
Yeah, we're talking New Year's Six push, playoff push. I don't think they can afford to lose, knowing that a maybe one, knowing that a you know a somebody, maybe a Boise, maybe a Memphis, maybe Western a Kentucky too. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of teams. I mean, I mean the that, margin for but the margin for error for a group of five automatic spot is so thin. It's yes, and, and you know I think a twelve and one USF could probably make an argument over a thirteen and zero Boise State, kind of no matter the loss, um, just because of the strength of the conference and and. Right now, the Mountain West is pretty poor. Um, a Western Kentucky, probably kind of in that same boat. You know, it's but it's tough for them too. They're going through a coaching change, and they've lost some talent on offense. They have our, our boy back there, but they got I mean, our boy. But but still, I mean that. Con- but see, the thing about that conference is, is that I mean, it's not great. No, the bottom <laughs> of that league is bad. It's legitimately bad, and so that's all I'll say. Though I can't go into specifics. Okay. Really, but you want to edit this out. We'll edit this part out. But we will. Okay, <laughs> we'll take it out in post. We'll take it out in post. Um, but there's some there's some things here that aren't working so hot um, at, at the leagues below. So I would see USF as you know a 12 and one USF should be that team. Any team that gets out of this league 12 and one, because if you do it in the East, that means you beat USF and UCF and Cincinnati. And if you do it in the West, you went through a gauntlet to get there. This this uh, so any team that gets 12 and one out here should probably be the. I think it's safe to say that this is the premier group of five conference. Like, you have a couple teams in the Mountain West, but I'm saying, like, it's always, all right, well, maybe BYU can can do it this year. It's always, like, the BYUs, the Boise States, us, or us, USF, Western Kentucky, those kind of schools. I think Memphis, we talk about Memphis, Memphis could be back in that conversation. So can Houston. You know, Memphis, like, Memphis got so close the year they beat Ole Miss. You know, they were a team that was legitimate competitive, and they just couldn't quite, you know, hang on there. But... you know, I mean, you look at the game that USF played against that. That's a game that goes either way. Oh, it's coin flip. Complete yeah. coin flip. Um, that team's good. Team's really, really good. good. Uh, so next year, you know, last year, we had Houston beat Oklahoma. We had Houston beat Louisville. Uh, the year before that, we had Memphis beat Ole Miss. Um, trying to think of some other signature wins. Temple beat Notre Dame. Uh, and am I missing signature wins here? Like big nine power five signature wins. You said Houston, right? Yeah. Okay. Houston won twice last year. Oklahoma yeah. level. Didn't Navy have a big win last year? Notre Dame. That, you said that? No, uh, oh, I said uh, Temple beat Notre Dame, which they did. Um, Temple beat Notre Dame. Navy beat Notre Dame. Uh, Navy ended up beating Houston, which kind of screwed everything up for everybody here. That, that, that probably wasn't real good for the league in the wrong run. Well, I, I think that we were talking about it a little bit last night. We were almost setting up for a scenario where you – the American Conference Championship. Now, would a lot a of things game. would have had to align for this yeah. to happen. But the hypothetical situation where after Houston beats Oklahoma in the beginning of the year, they go undefeated, they make it to the Conference Championship. USF on the other side, if they were somehow able to get past Florida State, which they weren't, but if in the hypothetical situation they were right. undefeated USF against undefeated uh, Houston with both wins over like quality, quality Power 5 schools at the time, uh, that's, that's... Riddle me this. Let's talk undefeated Houston, undefeated USF, American Conference Championship game for all the Marvels, or at least most of them. Does Willie <laughs> Taggart still go to Oregon? Yes. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. That was resounding. Yeah. Absolutely. I did not think that was going to be that resounding. 100%. One, it's the money. Two, um, can we – I can probably say this and Josh can't. Um, the, the relationship, I would say, was not broken in any way, but I would say it was strained. At points, I think that's strained, frayed, maybe, maybe as an adjective. Um, there were some challenges there, and I don't think those would have been able to have been overcome, considering the gap in 
financial um, distance that an Oregon can offer over a USF. So yeah, and quite frankly, they could have done worse with the replacement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You really kind of fell into a pretty good one there, huh? And by the way, Willie Taggart is paying all of Charlie Strunk's salary for the first two seasons. Willie's, Willie's buyout was $2 million. Charlie's being paid $1 million per season by USF. So you basically get a free coach for the last uh, three years. You could do worse. You could do a hell of a lot worse. Someone uh, someone was, I forget who I was talking to. Um, oh, it was about, uh, no, I forget. Edit this out. There was a, um, oh, I think it was one of the Cincinnati players, and he was talking about how Luke Fickle can throw the weight around in the weight room. Okay. And it got me to thinking, you've got Charlie Strong walking around here at 50-some-odd years old, as jacked as he is. Okay. I was caught off guard by how strong Scott Frost looks. Big guy. Big guy. Big guy. Former player. Do Do we have potential to have the strongest, like, physically strong coaches, like, top to bottom in the country? You know, I bet you Randy Etzel's got some old man strength there, too. He had a, he was, you know, he was a little get-off-my-lawn today, but... Chad Morris has always hopped up on Red Bull. It's true. That he helps. Energy. And here's the thing. In, like, a bench press contrast, Charlie, uh, vertically challenged, I think is a fair way to describe him. He's so, not as short as I was led to believe, by the way. It's the first time I met him in person. Okay. He's not as short as I was led to believe. Okay. So you were led to believe that he was, like, Oompa Loompa? Like, yeah. Like, okay. I was thinking, like, I was expecting, like, five... Five six, Charlie Strong. Okay, yeah, a little bigger than that, um, but he's and Charlie's just still pretty jacked, he's a pretty big guy. Uh, yeah, I think I think we might have athletically the. Yeah, I'm trying. Who else? Mostly, okay, so Larry Fedora is probably going to take the cake. Larry, coach in America, but if you take him out of it out of the ACC, I can't see anybody else who would be able to hang with the USF or the AAC guys. Um, all right, we're done here. We're rambling. Um, Final thoughts. How many lobsters did you eat last night, Richard? Only two, um, but the you know I will say only two. But I did get some steak in, um, some Same. chorizo, whatever that Ooh. stuff was, um, and then some clams and some mussels. So I was diverse in my consumption last night. Um, it was a multiple offensive effort. Okay. We weren't just you know one lane. We weren't just one uh, one thing. I I was a jack of all trades last night. Not just a master of one. And I think um, I think that's how you win the game. You know that's. The spread offense of, of food is really exactly. where you want to be. You want to be multiple. You want to be able to run off the edge. You want to be able to run between the tackles. And I was, I'm proud of you for that. Josh, how many did you have? I had two lobsters and two uh, pieces of steak, and I had like four rolls. And Ooh, I had a Sam Adams. Big on bread. That's, yeah. You I don't know about that. bread on this Exactly. On this I don't know about the bread. right there. I got to say, like, Listen. look, freshman, like that, that's not really how you want to attack The cranberry this. chicken was good at lunch today. was. Yeah. Excellent. No. I, went so the, I went the Soleil. I, I did the Soleil, the fish, the fish. stuff fish. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Um, I, did you any have, have any of that cobbler or that blueberry thing that they had today? No, with the no I'm not a, I don't have a sweet tooth. I don't eat chocolate at all. Oh. Um, mm. So I, don't, I do not have much of a sweet tooth, really. So I usually bypass ice cream. Like, I can't tell you the last time I ate ice cream. Can we argue uh, that this is the best fed conference in America? Yes. Oh, I've already started the countdown until next year for my lobster uh, dinner again. Yeah, I'll be back. Like Stephen Godfrey, Bill Connolly, if you're listening to this, this is me next year. This is my thing. Um, <laughs> they all messed up sending me to this. Um, I'll be back. So I've complained about the, the media food at various outlets in this conference over the years at like football and basketball games. Now, I would say that our women's basketball tournament is one of 
it's elite. I mean, it's really elite food. It's food from Mohegan Sun. It's a really nice casino. They bring in the good stuff. Okay. But you go to a lot of other tournaments and events around here, and you go to some press boxes, and you get some average to below average meals. For example, USF is locked into this terrible food contract that they have to use Raymond James Stadium catering mm. for their games, which is terrible, and the food's really bad, and you sort of just have to suck it up and deal with it. And then you go to the Outback Bowl, which is in the same stadium, and they don't have that deal, and you're getting, like, fresh prime rib carved off and Ugh. women onions passed around. Goodness. Yeah, right. So, but U.S. needs some problems with food. Um, Food-wise, clearly, this is this is a power five. Oh, you know, I would argue maybe a power one. We are the elite food uh, people in in all of college football, I would say. Yeah, I can't I've imagine done, anything better. Besides, well, the SEC, SEC Media Days is in a hotel connected to a mall. Right. So there's a Chick-fil-A that's walking distance. So if anything, I think the uh, the American's going to have to put up with that. But look, that's stiff competition, and I think the American does really hold its own. So. Absolutely. You know, and that's that's what they're trying to do. You know, If you're going to compete, you've got to compete on the field, off the field, and in the media food. And uh, I'm proud of this league for, for stepping up and getting that done. Absolutely. Um, all right. We're off to the airports. Um, and the train stations. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll edit all of this because it was a little rambly. We'll just cut it all. <laughs> just cut it all possibly. Um, but thanks. Wait, hold on. When you say we, you definitely don't mean you. I definitely don't mean me because I'm terrible with these things and the technology. Let's but just, I, let's just again, establish that Colin is saying there's going to be some heavy editing to this. And it's just parading around how much editing is going to be on this podcast. He's not going to do a single thing. That is absolutely correct. I we wouldn't have even had a mic, by the way, unless if it wasn't, I came through. Uh, so. Richard came through with the mic. I will probably send this to Jamie and have him do all the editing and cutting. Um, and I will take credit for it and write it under my byline because that's how I roll. It ain't about what you know. It's about who you know. That's why. Amen. Preach. See ya.